Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. He is just an obsessive goal scorer. They have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And... I've got a problem with soccer to be fair. Football. Oh, what a start! All what I can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. Welcome in, everybody. Fun show planned today, and what will be the last one for a while. We're all extremely tired, but extremely excited to chat some Champions League final action. Finally, I've got the boys. Finally, I've got all my boys in the House of Champions today. Slow introduction and golf clap for every single one of you. Nigel Rio Coker, how you doing, buddy? I'm not your boy. I'm just your colleague for now. Uh, thank you for my colleague, Nigel Rio Coker, for turning up here. Uh, my boy, Michael Lude, how you doing? Golf clap for you. How you doing? I've seen better days because of a certain result over the weekend, but I'm happy to be here. You sport about 18 clubs, by the way, mate. That's unbelievable. <laughs> James Bench, little golf clap for you. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, also not your boy. I appreciate I'm by some distance the youngest in here, but I'm not a boy anymore. Uh, you're certainly young enough to be my son, James Bench. Don't you worry about that one. Now. And there he is, Jonathan Johnson, just, uh, you know, hanging out. He was the last one to get into the group chat. So apologies for the delay here uh, in France. It's apparently a different time zone. How you doing, JJ? I'd, be pref- I'd prefer to be titled your drinking buddy. But I'm also well, considered uh, part of the uh, the cognac club as well with Nigel Rearcoke from Mike Lahoud. So good good to be back on with you guys. That's what Nigel wanted to be called, my drinking buddy. I look at his face. As soon as you said anything about drinking, his smile just yeah. appeared out of nowhere. Let's get into it, boys. Uh, what a cracking weekend it was. Obviously, the Champions League final was highly anticipated. Manchester City fans all around the world expecting to see a convincing victory. They get the victory, one goal to nil against Inter Milan. Rodri, 68 minutes into the game. Michael LaHood, uh, your overall thoughts on the game. We'll go around the group here. Just give us your initial reaction to the game and the result for Manchester City. We'll begin with you. We'll go to Nigel. We'll go to James. And we'll go to JJ. It wasn't the most convincing City performance we've seen all season long, but they got the job done. And there was credit to Inter Milan and how they defended. I thought Inter did well. We'll get into the weeds about that. But I thought they did well to nullify a lot of City's strengths throughout the match. City weren't as sharp in the final third. I forgot Erling Holland was in the match except for that early chance. But credit to the man, the main man that got it done, James Benj. He had mentioned something about Rodri being, what, Ben, did you say one of the best midfielders in the world? He sure as hell yes, proved it with I don't that think strike. He, 
to get to the, the big title. Yeah, although I don't think he'd agree that he was one of the best midfielders in the world yesterday <laughs> or Saturday. <laughs> no, no, no. But he came up. He came who, up big. who gave he him the man of the match award? Someone who wasn't watching the game. <laughs> we live in a corporate society nowadays, James. Let's be real. Come on. Go corporate. NRC, NRC, let's go. I'll just say, listen, I'll keep it simple. I think it was a good game of football in the sense of watching when you talk about tactics and stuff and how the game has really evolved to another level. Um, Inter Milan, for me, we've got to give credit for how well coached they are because the performance they put in this weekend is what we've seen them do throughout the Champions League. And I know it might not be great for some or entertaining for some, but you've got to give credit when you see teams coach like that. And the only reason why I say that is, you know, some of us on there have been there and then some of you guys have interviewed top players at the highest level now. There's a lot of egos to deal with. But when you can get all those egos and all these big personalities to go in the same direction and same line and to be coached, it's not easy to do. It takes a strong top manager to be able to do that. And for me, they were well coached. Yes, they're a defensively minded team, but there were times when they had great possession against Manchester City at the edge of the box. We've got to give credit for that. There were times when they were looking very threatening in the attacking sense. And yep. it wasn't a stroll in the park as most people thought it would be for Manchester City. And luck was on City's side because an inch either side and Lukaku gets an equaliser and we could be having a complete different Oh, give over, mate. Phil Foden should have banged that in the back end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah let's move but on. He yeah, but he didn't. But he didn't. And Lukaku should have banged it in the back end. Yeah, yeah, but he didn't. Uh, he didn't. Uh, no. either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah but Martinez, Martinez yeah. should have scored before that anyway. Thank yeah. you, JJ. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. overall... And Haaland should have scored in the first half, but he didn't. We could just go on and on about this bullshit. Come on. If we're just going to have this conversation, we could have got those 20 chances there. Should have scored here. I mean... Anyway, finish off, Nigel. Sorry to interrupt. No, I just thought, honestly, I, I, overall, I just thought it was, a, it was a good game of football. And um, you'd have to say City overall were the better team in the end. And uh, they deserve to win it. Yeah, unfortunate for uh, Romelu that he has such a big uh, body, oddy, 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 to quote <laughs> the great Megan Lee Stallion, who uh, oh I'm, sure, I'm sure will offer him, I'm sure we'll offer him some commiseration in the future. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, Romelu's won. Let's be clear. He may not have I'm got that medal. that Beyonce concert was a good one, James, was it? But, yeah. Oh, man, it was incredible. It was phenomenal. <laughs> Springsteen on Friday as well. What a, what a summer I'm having. Um, I don't know. I thought what was very interesting about this is I thought that was the probably the worst I've seen Manchester City play all season. Um, I thought Pep Guardiola totally messed up his tactics. There was this sort of weird insistence on playing John Stones as, as really a right winger. Certainly, you know, it was almost a sort of role that De Bruyne or David Silva plays even on occasion as well. It's right-sided advanced eight. I thought Stones was like the best. I kept writing, this is brilliant by John Stones for a centre-back, but you had this centre-back playing as a, an attacking midfielder. It, it seemed a bit weird, especially with Kyle Walker on the bench. But that that was the problem was, I thought Inter Milan played really well, but it kind of reminded me of a good mid-table Premier League team disrupting the best team in England. You know, they worked really hard. They were organised. Didn't pose much of a threat beyond City's mistakes and, you know, the desperate late swings. And then City could have, you know, completely the wrong plan, not really get Haaland into the game, lose their best player, De Bruyne, to injury. All those things happened, and yet they were still really good value for the win. Just shows you how much difference there is between City and and most of the rest of the field in Europe. 
I mean, there is a huge gap, and you know, we saw the difference in the at the end of the day in the in the result. But I do think that Inter, uh, you know, ran City a lot closer than many of us expected. I had yeah. City uh, running well, not all of us, my Mike. goal, but I had I had more <laughs> goals overall in the game down for that one. I did pick Stones as my man in the match. I was kind of chuffed about that, seeing as he spent so many times, uh, so much time doing stepovers on the edge of the Inter box, which was quite a rarity. I imagine that's going to be a collector's item in a couple of years' time. The day that John Stones was basically playing number 10 but uh no it was um i i feel that inter will be really gutted uh gutted that they came so close to potentially pulling up the upset but just not quite being able to i think there's a number of players in that team who could probably hold their heads high again i was impressed by demarco obviously hit the crossbar and then had his rebound blocked by uh, lukaku and another day that perhaps goes in but you know, realistically, I feel like Inter... I mean, you look at when Mkhitaryan was thrown on at the end of that game. It was, what, five minutes from time? Him missing in that midfield for Inter, you know, I think yeah. really deprived them of a lot of technique and a lot of guile. That said, you know, I thought Brozovic had a decent game, uh, you know, sort of intercepting, doing what he does best, uh, you know, kind of just mopping up there in the midfield. Uh, but, you know, they when they tried to go forward, tried to create, they were missing so much. Dzeko, I thought, put in a good shift for an hour or so, but... It just kind of feels like they fell short and had certain personnel been fit, then maybe, maybe they might just have pulled off a, a bit more of a surprise result and taken it beyond 90. A couple of uh, comments coming in here already. Vic jumping in and saying, full house this morning. Big up to everybody. Uh, we got a surprise for you later on. And Vic, I'm sure you're going to be pleased to hear this news. Ali A, Nigel loves to hate on Manchester City because his beloved Real Madrid lost against them. Uh, Ed jumping in here. <laughs> And saying, Michael Hood, who's your pick for next season's Champions League? I mean, no, I should not buy. That's the best. People know as well. That is the best comment year so far of the show. That is it. Just go against Michael Hood, and you will be fine. He is the Drake curse. Ed, have you guys noticed he's pulled down the lead scarf since they got relegated as well? (laughs) (laughs) Got no time for a team in the championship. Mike, just put the Wait till I start. I'm going to start. And hopefully, we'll see what happens with them. Hey, wait till I start. I'm going to start backing all your teams next season. I can't <laughs> wait to see the Drake curse. Just fan, 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 fan to all your clubs. Listen, my team's FC St. Pauli, all right? We could do with uh, any type of luck. It could be good or bad. I just, I don't like to be that middle club. Just give me some sort of, one way or another. That'll be fine for me. Uh, Real quickly, Mike, i got to touch upon the fact that this was an impressive treble for Manchester City. Obviously, now uh, Manchester United, not the only English club now to have achieved that incredible uh, record of the treble with European Cup and Champions League. Um, Your overall thoughts on on this dynasty that Manchester City are creating? I think we're all an admirer. We all expected a bigger performance. City were certainly not at their best. Um, but at the same time, um, this is a treble, and this is something that's just rarely ever seen in world football, let alone for English clubs in general. I'm impressed. Even as a United fan, you have to give credit where credit is due. The expectation, the weight of the world, the way the City team played. And you have to remember, this is a City team that threw all their tactics out of the window when how they were playing at the first half of the season, switched to a back three when they were playing a back four, and really centered their game plan around one player, the missing piece from the last few seasons. City, they've been playing with a false nine, and they almost won the Champions League with a false nine, Kevin De Bruyne playing that. So for Pep to reinvent the wheel, to get Erling Holland, that was the masterstroke in there. But then different players, Ilkay Gudigan, Kevin De Bruyne coming to life. I mean, remember, Phil Foden, he was an out-and-out starter for City a season ago or the last two seasons. So credit to Pep, really impressed at the end of the day. 
I mean, I just want to say this um, as a neutral or at the very least someone that doesn't particularly wish either club all that well. Uh, it will pain me to say this to Mike Lloyd, <laughs> but um, no, don't say it. you have to say it. Manchester United's treble was the better one. Oh, uh, yes. Thank you. Because, Why? Why, because, James? Uh, first Why? of all, because you have to do it with a little bit of draw. I think yeah. the challenge for City is it was all a little bit too easy for them. You know, if we put these two teams together, faced off, you know, at peak of their power, City would be the better football team and would win the game. But, you know, as an achievement, you want it to be done with a little bit of spectacularity. And United had that all the way through, winning the league on the final day, winning the FA Cup in dramatic fashion. And, uh, oh yeah, that thing at the new Camp. So I'd rather win the treble, you know, as as a fan, I would rather win the treble the way United did than the sort of slightly breezy way that City did. But, but of course... What this does mean is there's only one Invincibles and there's two treble winners. So, oh, boy. Right, so this, is, Wait, this is a question for James <laughs> and JJ then. Michael can be quiet on this. Um, would you say there's a bit of an asterisk mark on Manchester City for winning the treble in the sense of the investigation that's still ongoing with Manchester City? Is that fair to say? Because there wasn't this kind of situation with Manchester United and the money that's been involved with building this dynasty at Manchester City, would you say... Um, it's not been the same playing field as what Sir Alex Ferguson did at Man United. Uh, yes, uh, pretty much. Go for it, James. <laughs> I, I mean, I, we have to remember that, like, you know, Manchester United were by some distance the richest club. It's it's not, you know, and you have, yeah. probably have to be the richest club to win. But I, I do completely agree with you, Nigel. I think it's... You but know, there's a difference when you say that, James. When they exactly. said they're the richest club, they were the richest club by winning trophies and yeah. continued success. So they got money rewarded for being successful. Now, when you look at Manchester City, how that's come about, it is a lot different to what we're seeing. And they've literally also, just been... Also controversial, Nigel, as well. If you think of some of the big names that he got rid of uh, at Manchester yeah. United on the way to success, like, mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, it was just before that they got rid of, like, NC and all those guys. I mean, just booed mm. them out the door. It was like, you were thinking, what the hell is he doing, like, here? But uh, these were incredible decisions at the end of the day. Go ahead, Nigel, sorry. No, that was it. I just wanted to ask the, the two experts, James and JJ, what they thought if there's an asterisk mark in this treble compared to Manchester United. Well, I think as well, the other thing with this City success <clears throat> is it kind of feels like we've been counting down to this sort of ever since, uh, you know, City got to the point where they were started to be talked about as potential European champions. We've just been counting down to, you know, when they dominate absolutely everything, the Premier League, all domestic cups and the Champions League. So maybe by that uh, token, you know, we should be criticising City and saying, well, they didn't win the League Cup. So it's, uh, you know, all been for nothing. They should have should have had a quadruple to their name instead of a treble. I know it's a bit, uh, you know, sort of nitpicking there but uh no it, it kind of feels like this is an inevitability that we've counted down to mike you got anything to add here before we move on he doesn't have yeah, anything just, he just, uh, well uh, i noticed that nigel said you were not an expert so yeah <laughs> i couldn't help but notice that I, uh, who's nigel i don't know who, no i was kidding <laughs> no i didn't get mike involved because i wanted it from educated journalist's point of view and unbiased yeah yes yes so my only point is james can you remind us who the mutual team that united and city both beat to win the premier league on their way to their treble my my memory is a little flat yeah that was the uh that was the arsenal team that the only team to have uh gone 38 game premier league season undefeated that was that one uh maybe a different 
season. I was going through my stats. So if you beat Arsenal, you get in the title race with Arsenal. Trebles do come your way. No, I, I agree with what everyone's saying here. What City achieved is amazing. But what that United team did to get it to the, the final countdown, to win the league on the final day, FA Cup, the heroics. And I mean, I, I don't think we'll see anything like that, but there's something in the water in Manchester, apparently. S- Sammy Kafour <laughs> punching the turf in Catalonia. <laughs> yeah. One of the greatest moments of my life. I'm just going to say that. Uh, Pep Guardiola won his 300th game in charge of Manchester City on that Saturday night. He needed only 413 games to win 300 games in charge of Manchester City. Um, we got a, a nice comment coming in here. And of course, it sounds like it's a very good friend of mine, Scally Whiskey, saying, Ian, you're a little annoying today. Uh, just a little bit. That's why he's the host. Thank you very much, Scally Whiskey, for tuning into the show. Please make sure you like and subscribe. Vic jumping in saying Pep Guardiola is the the goat here. Uh, we have Umbav coming in and saying Madrid already have Bellingham. If they get Kane and sort out defensive uh, issues, can they challenge City next season? Seeing that Inter played, seems like Ancelotti got his tactically, tactics totally wrong. We'll discuss that on the other side of the break. Ed jumping in and saying United won a treble with the likes of Johnson, uh, Johnson and Butt and Blomqvist as regulars. No disrespect, but that is miraculous. I mean, listen, I, there's no denying that what Manchester United did. They were obviously very lucky at the closing stages of the game against Bayern Munich, but it was a tremendous achievement. Let's turn our attention to Pep Guardiola before we do go to break here. Uh, Michael, come back to you on this one. Um, Guardiola Guardiola obviously uh, gets a, a tremendous amount of respect from every single one of us for what he has done here. Many people talking about being the greatest manager in history. I mean, would ask you that one, being a Manchester United fan, you can clearly see the trophies that he has won. Um, but let's not forget he's had um, a fair penny to spend on players to bring to his clubs over the generation. So let's not forget that. Yeah. So that's a differentiating factor. I think Pep Guardiola is the best tactician of all time. And there's some great ones, Johan Cruyff, to name a few along the list. But in terms of the complete manager, the GOAT, Sir Alex Ferguson, what he did with that United team to bring the youth through, to make them the core, and to manage that and sustain that. And football's changed so much, but to manage that and sustain that for the longevity that he did with one club, I think it's incredible and puts him slightly ahead. But Pep is definitely in the equation with this Champions League treble. Nigel, your overall thoughts on Pep Guardiola? I mean, obviously, he's done a great job. As a city, you bring Erling Haaland into the club, they get a cut price deal of $75 million. He scores, what, 35 bangers in the league or 36, whatever it was, uh, 52 goals this season. And it made a big difference to Manchester City compared to what we've seen the last time they were in the final. Made a massive difference. Erling Haaland was the difference maker. They got him for a reason and it's proved to be worth every penny they spent on him. Um, but like Michael said, I agree. I think the, dif- the difficult thing is in this generation is everyone loves a quick fix. You see it with football clubs now and directors. Everyone thinks the quick fix happens like that. There's always going to be Mark against Pep because every club he's managed, he's been given massive resources, whatever he wants and spent pretty much whatever he wanted to get the success. So Alex Ferguson built Manchester United to where they are now. That's the big difference. He's been there for such a long time. Again, with Pep, could he stay at Manchester City for another 15, 20 years and win 20 titles? I doubt it. I think it will be too competitive. But one thing you can't deny is the amount of trophies he's won in such a short space of time. You have to give him credit for that because to win the Champions League and, you know, league titles, it's not easy. It is very difficult to do. And you cannot deny the tactics and the coaching behind Pep Guardiola by every club that he's been at. You can see that he's had an immediate influence and impact in style of play of every club. But I'll just like to say that I agree with Mike, sadly, 
I think that I would still put Sir Alex Ferguson <laughs> ahead of him because uh, of the longevity of what he's done. And when you say Manchester United, you can't say it without Sir Alex Ferguson with the foundation he's bought. And there'll always be that question mark. Could Pep do this at a lower league club, at like a club like Brighton, at a club like Aston Villa and build them up Aberdeen. without being a massive resource? I'd love yeah. to find out on there. <laughs> yes, that, would, that would be, that would be <laughs> fantastic. You know what, Ed? That is a great comment. Fergie did it mm. with Aberdeen as well, a European yeah. title. That is, that's what yeah. I'm saying. So let's not just it's continue impressive. to see the glitz and glam right now. He, he deserves to be the goal for his post-match after the Scottish Cup final when I think they, bought, <laughs> they beat Rangers in the final. He's there, it's not good enough. It was absolutely shite. They think they can celebrate. They've got another thing coming. Just won the, the cup. And like just winning the league and you're off to Europe and it was apparently not good enough for a club like Aberdeen. Uh, James, what's next for Pep Guardiola? Obviously, Nigel touched upon it there. We, we recognise that he is obviously in demand. Um, he is also a human being. This type of pressure, I can only imagine, is immense for someone like him. Even yesterday, I, I don't know if you guys do the same as me, but I like to watch the clips of the players celebrating and, and leaving the hotel. And like everybody's hounding this guy. Like you, can't, you can't walk two yards for someone taking a selfie and wanting to speak to Pep Guardiola. At some point, you would think he needs a break from all of this nonsense, but he is an absolute genius of what he does. So what is next for Pep Guardiola and your overall thoughts? Well, I mean, it's interesting just even today as we speak, a couple of guys that are really close to Pep and, and on the Manchester beat. I know Rob Dawson at ESPN is one of them, is reporting that Guardiola won't go beyond his contract in 2025. Now, 2025 is a long way off. He might change his mind. And one thing, I, you know, having spoken to him once or twice, one thing I since he's been at City, he always does seem very happy, very settled there. This is a club, remember, that was built for him. He has lasted a lot longer there and been somewhat less burnt out than he has been at Barcelona, than he has been even at Bayern. But it, it can't go on forever. He doesn't seem like the sort of manager that wants to do 20 years. I mean, got to be. it would be nine years at the end of his contract. That's a, a big, big stint, yeah. even by, you know, even looking back to the 60s, 70s, when we all think managers lasted 400 years and were then, uh, you know, then calcified into stone. Um, after that, like from the my suspicion is it will be a, an, an international job. It will be, can I get the Euros and the World Cup? And maybe that's actually a great way for you know, to sort of show that you aren't just a transfer budget. You aren't just, you know, the richest club. I know that, you know, he he will go to, maybe if he goes to Spain, he's not going to go to Luxembourg and win the World Cup with them. But if he took the Spain job, you know, you have to work with what's given to you. And I think that would might be an interesting way to to re rebalance the view of him because, like, of course he couldn't win the league with Aston Villa or Brighton, but no one can because <laughs> football doesn't work like that anymore. <laughs> You know, not, oh, I mean, oh, oh, Jesus. James is getting real above his station right now just because Arsenal competed for the Premier League. That was League a, title where a top you know, what, what, what would All need to happen? Above themselves. What would need to happen for Brighton or Villa to win the league, though? Like, it, it just having a good manager, what they'd need to do is, is have a 60,000 seat stadium, Champions League revenue for five, 10 years. Uh, probably that. probably owners that are looking to sports watch that. their global James. reputation. I know it happens that. every once in a million years with Leicester, okay. but so it happens. That's what you gotta say. 
Yeah. <laughs> JJ. I'm just gonna get, I'm just gonna keep my cards close to my chest. You know, I'm I'm happy with doing Iron Maria at the moment. I'm happy going to Europe next season, but I wouldn't say no if, if Guardiola fancies a little bit of a stint at Villa Park one day. Uh no, I mean just sort of adding to that. Um you know what? It really wouldn't surprise me if he leaves before the end of his contract. I think if his next move really is an international job, makes sense after the Euros in 2024, see what's available. I mean, there's already speculation. I think that the Spain national team job is probably going to be back on the market again at some point in the near future. It sounds like De La Fuente It's not quite working out how they hoped it would with him. Whether or not he sees it all the way through to the Euros, we'll have to wait and see. But if we are talking potentially about a Spain, maybe even a Brazil, even though Ancelotti seems uh, you know, to be lined up for that one, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Pep would want to be in it sort of for the two years leading up to the World Cup as opposed to just sort of parachuting in one year before. And I think as well, given what he's now achieved with City, given that he's got them over the line with that Champions League, I don't think they'd stand in his way if he wanted to leave a year before the end of his contract. I do think he'll want to see if he can go one better next season, not necessarily win a quadruple, but, you know, do back-to-back Champions League titles. But for me, it wouldn't stun me at all uh, if he leaves one year before the end of his contract. And in fact, if it is his next move is to be into, into international management, it would actually make a lot of sense to me if we're talking about him leaving City this time next year. He'll take over yeah. England. John Stone's playing right midfield. Stay, stay away from that job. <laughs> stay away from that job. Well, also, just going just going back to the debate about who was the the, the best coach, uh, I, I think the, the shout for Ferguson is great. But Ancelotti, having won the Champions League across basically three decades, three totally different styles of football, I think that deserves uh, you know, I, recognition I, 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 as well. And he kept Everton away from the relegation zone. <laughs> the, no, probably the biggest no, achievement in his managerial career. You know what, JJ? So did did Frank Lampard. (laughs) I think, JJ, you're right in saying that as well, because Ancelotti is someone that I say up there as well. But the only reason for me why I say Ferguson is because you look at what Ferguson did at Man United. There will never be another manager that does that to stay at a club that long and win 20 domestic titles and obviously do the treble and all that. That's what is the difference. You know, longevity is the key. Uh, You know, I'm just going to test Michael Hood right now because I know he watched this uh, Champions League final in great depth. Uh, How many passes did Erling Haaland in the Champions League final have? Oof, man. I'd say five. James is is almost right. He had eight passes in the final. He touched the ball 19 times. How many successful passes did Erling Haaland have from his eight passes, Michael? Six. Oof. I'll go seven. <laughs> Three successful Three. passes wow. in the whole of that game. Touched the ball 19 wow. times. It just shows you how well that's the Inter defended in that game. And that's where we're turning our attention to next right here on House of Champions. Stick around, everyone. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Streaming live on Paramount Plus, the ultimate international soccer rivalry is renewed when the USA takes on Mexico in the CONCACAF Nations League semifinals. The US is two wins from defending their title, and it's once again Mexico standing in their way looking for revenge. This is more than just a match. This is a battle for regional bragging rights. USA versus Mexico this Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern, streaming live exclusively on Paramount Plus. Please try it for free at ParamountPlus.com slash live sports. Welcome I back. Need to jump in there. I need Everybody to jump in here. Uh, the <laughs> ultimate international soccer, soccer rivalry is the USA against Mexico. James, oh, James you have no start. idea, James. You have James, no idea. Start. We're going to get you out. We're going to get you out of a game. You'd love it. Yeah, have you been to England, Scotland? you got to come out to watch the countries. Yeah. Listen, James, there's nothing like playing a home international game against Mexico when 98% of the stadium is full of Mexican supporters. There's nothing like it. Yeah, it's I, a rivalry. It's the first time playing at home feels like playing away. Trust me, James. It's an experience it's, you wouldn't understand. It is absolutely <laughs> yeah, wild. All right. Let's get back to the Champions League final. Of course, Manchester City getting the job done. One goal to nil here. JJ, obviously tactically approaching this game. Inter, I think we can all say we expected Man City to score more goals in this game. But Inter seemed to tactically get it right across the board in this game. They still looked lit, very dangerous side. They could have scored a couple of goals in this game. Probably should have scored a couple of goals in this game. And I was very impressed. However... I just wonder if he should have gone with Lukaku instead of Dzeko. Overall, JJ, your thoughts on the tactical approach from Zaghi's men? I mean, it's an interesting uh, debate who he should have gone with uh, up top. But I think starting off with the defence, which you rightly praised, I kind of found myself in moments being surprised by how... Um, you know, sort of relaxed, almost too relaxed, the inter-defense work, as there were a couple of sloppy errors that that let City in. Uh, Anana had to make a really good save, uh, you know, in the in the first half. And I just thought maybe they were so confident in their ability to lock up the defense that, you know, they were trying to focus on other aspects of their game, which was maybe not necessarily the right approach to take. Then again, you have to factor in the, you know, that uh, Mkhitaryan clearly wasn't enough fit enough to start. Had this not been the Champions League final, probably wouldn't have even been in the squad at all. Uh, you know, only getting that five-minute run out at the end. Having to put Brozovic in instead of Mkhitaryan, suddenly that changes completely, uh, you know, the way that that midfield functioned. Uh, you know, and I think Lukaku, Dzeko, there was always going to be a debate. I think if you put Lukaku in from the start, he probably wasn't going to go uh, as as long as Dzeko did going the hour. And I think yep. uh, sort of in terms of the, the kind of thankless task, uh, you know, the shift that Dzeko put in, I'm not sure it would have worked the same way as Lukaku. I actually think that Inzaghi made the right move in bringing Lukaku on when he did. Perhaps even could have thrown him on uh, sort of, uh, you know, at halftime maybe. But equally, uh, you know, when it's sort of poised at nil-nil, uh, you know, he I, I think he was trying to keep his cards close to his chest in case they were able to play uh, and take it beyond 90 minutes. And ultimately, I actually think that Lukaku coming on Despite the fact that a lot of people are going to dig him out about the chances that didn't hit the back of the net, 
I actually think that he created a fair bit. He gave into this focal point, uh, this threat that suddenly started to stretch the the city defense. You know, he did get a shot off, which forced Edison to make a save. Uh, to be honest, if we're talking about sort of assigning blame for missed chances, I think Martinez is just as guilty, if not more, uh, you yeah. know, than than uh, than Lukaku because you know he was put through clean on goal by City, uh, you know, shooting themselves in the foot, and you know, still couldn't sort of put the ball away. Uh, you know, Lukaku very unfortunate to to get in the way of Demarco's uh, rebound effort, and you know, the chance that he had it could have gone anywhere. I thought Gozens did really well from the bench. Probably could have done with seeing him a bit earlier, in fact, uh, you know, because I think he had that good header at the end that was saved, uh, you know, also headed across for for Lukaku for that headed uh, chance. I mean, it's a miraculous save by Edison and Diaz, you know, does really well to sort of get in and, and block it with his body the, the second time as well. So there was a large element of, uh, you know, misfortune really for Inter that they didn't manage to score, uh, but equally, you know, it was always going to be a question of how long Inter could prolong the inevitable, I felt. Yeah, I think those, I agree with what you're saying. I think for people who are saying that City were by far the better team, did not watch the same match that most of us watch. If you look at the XG, when Lukaku came on, enter at the final whistle, they almost doubled City's XG. When was the last time a team doubled City's XG? Something we haven't seen throughout this season. Where Inter got it right and spot on was in the midfield. City play a box, right? It's been talked about. Four players set up in a box. Inter, they drop their two strikers, and they already have a midfield three. That creates an overload of five v four. City looks stupefied, and that's what forced John Stone stepping out and higher up the field in a position we haven't seen throughout the season. And it's unnatural and create an imbalance in Manchester City. Where the goal happened, and there are flash points in it, with Phil Foden making those darting runs, what we saw from Bernardo Silva, was the movement of Bastoni. If Bastoni doesn't step out to the back line and just waits for the midfield to shift over, then I think that goal does not happen. Football is a game of moments, especially in cup finals. And if you get one moment wrong against a world-class like City, you will get punished. All City was looking for was getting one moment right in the box. And on the other end, Ederson, he has to have a golf clap for him. He stood on his head. A lot of luck in some of those opportunities. If he didn't come through, we're looking at extra time. And I think Inter, my prediction, original prediction, if they get that goal, Inter goes on to win it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the XG, though, it all comes in the last 10, 15 minutes after Rodri has already scored. I would, I would kind of wouldn't overplay that because, like, you have to swing for the fences. And unfortunately for you, Romelu Lukaku gets in the way of your shots and DeMarco, you know, has as, as good a headed chance as you can wish. You know, it's, the XG was like neck neck and neck until Rodri scored. I mean, I think City might even have been shading it uh, slightly. And briefly on Inter, um, I think there were Manchester City and Inter Milan fans who had a tougher route to Istanbul than, than Inter Milan, the team, did over those those games. Um, let, let's not get carried away. They were a good team that that put in a brilliant performance, but they just didn't didn't have the the quality to dictate the game in midfield. The press was great, briefly discombobulated City. Um, but you know, this was a this was a team that that, that did its best work getting there. Um, I hate to sound harsh, but I think that's the truth. 
on an easier path as well, James, right? So I mean, much easier. An easier path to the final. And Other than Napoli. Por- I, I actually thought that they would have lost to at least one of the Portuguese sides there, and I thought the Portuguese sides let themselves <clears throat> down over those two games there. Nigel, what's your overall thoughts on Inter tactically and uh, obviously their performance? I think uh, i got to give credit for me when well-coached team. They, they played to their strengths. And yes, like James said, I'll just add on to that. They just didn't have that extra bit of quality in midfield. But again, my thing is this. It's it's the coaching aspect that I give credit to because it's not easy to do that. People think it's so easy, you know, to, to be a coach or a manager and this and that. If it's that easy, then why did Chelsea have such a horrible season and crumble so much with the money they spent and the talent they have? You look at their squad. It's not easy to do. And Inzaghi did well, worked to the strengths that he had. And it wasn't as easy a game for Manchester City as people say. Whether people want to say City didn't play well, that's your opinion. But when you look at how Inter are coached and to what Michael's saying as well, just to add to that, it's the sense of football intelligence where it's not always about being in one-on-one situations. It's picking the times when to go one-on-one with a Manchester City player or when to just block off the space and sit in the space because City's movement is always happening all over the time. If you don't know how to coach a team to say, right, if he goes there, you've got to communicate to this player behind you to pass him on. You block the space because this is what they're trying to do. That's all part of management and coaching. And that's what you've got to give credit for because you've seen times when teams play against Manchester City and they get fooled by that dummy run. There's no communication. They follow the runner and then uh, in Manchester City cut through you like we've seen them do. It's that mm-hmm. aspect you've got to give credit to. And uh, I think it was a decent game of football. You know, I personally would have started Lukaku, in my opinion. I think he's more of a threat. He's uh, very aggressive. And I think that's the one negative I would say against Inter Milan, because I think starting Lukaku would have probably made City sit a little bit deeper and be a bit more worried and scared. Nigel, am I right in saying this one here? Um, You know, maybe I'm wrong here. I'm not an attacker. But when you're starting a game, mentally, you've just finished your warm-up, it's almost as if when those chances come, you're, you're a bit more ready than what you are when you come off the bench. Sometimes you need a couple of chances to get into the pace of the game. Opportunities came pretty quickly. He obviously got in the way of, of the one who was at DeMarco. I can't remember who it was that tried to head it in. Um, and, and realistically, you're not necessarily up to pace of the game. Maybe I'm wrong on it's that. Not, Ian, you're 100% right. The, the game has moved on now that no matter what position you come in, it's so hard to come into the game straight away because the pace of the game is is frantic. And to play into that, it always takes about 20 minutes or so. I think the easiest position to come into the game, in my opinion, I'll probably say is the wingers. Wingers are the easiest position where you can maybe just get the ball, carry the ball, run it, and you know maybe get crosses in. That's about it. But coming in as a striker, a midfielder, or defending in that spine of the team is probably one of the hardest positions to come into a game. You know, I hated coming on as a sub, as a centre midfielder. Because catching up to the pace and getting into the flow is so difficult. As a striker, you're not warmed up. You're not striking balls. It's probably because you spent about an hour sulking on the bench before coming on. Because you thought you should have started. I I knew I should have started, JJ. There's a difference. Not I thought, I knew. Mentally tough and ready, all right? Stick down your pipe and smoke it. But no, you're right, Ian. I think even if you look at it, we could take it to the Florentina game versus West Ham. Who made the big mistake coming on? The Mm centre-back that came on for Florentina made the biggest mistake. And it's so vital when you come on. And as like you said, as Lukaku's on the bench, he's not striking balls into the goal, getting his feet ready and being ready for action if anything comes his way. So um, that definitely, I agree with you. That does make a difference. 
All right, we're going to take another quick break. We're going to discuss uh, the UEFA team of the season next, which included uh, a fair few of Manchester City players. And we've got some breaking news uh, for JJ coming next. So stick around. Welcome back in the House of Champions. The enjoy Nigel Rio Coker, Michael Hood, James Benj, and Jonathan Johnson. JJ, it looks like uh, Monchi is on his way to Aston Villa as their new sporting director. Uh, Sky Sports reporting as a major reorganization of the club. It's not a bad person to have involved in your club, Monchi. Someone who's a tremendous and the success now potentially moving to the Premier League. It sounds like it could be a done deal. Yeah, really, uh, really interested to see how this one plays out, assuming it does get over the line. Let's not speak too soon because we know what happened to Villa a couple of weeks ago with uh, Alemani when they thought they'd uh, managed to prize him away from Barcelona only for him to do a, a U-turn. I do think that developments at Villa these last 24 hours or so have been very interesting. Let's not forget, secured the signing of Tiedemanns a few hours before the Champions League final kicked off. Uh, and then you've got Perslow leaving uh, at the top of the club, which is quite interesting because assuming Monchi comes in, uh, you'd have to assume that uh, Langer probably moves upstairs because it doesn't sound like he'll be leaving the club. So he'll be replaced as the sporting director uh, by Monchi. I feel I feel more comfortable about Monchi moving out of Spain and away from Sevilla this time than I did when he moved to Roma. Because let's not forget, he wasn't great uh, you know, with uh, with the Italians, but before you that, that very quickly, <laughs> I like that. You no, but I mean, you know, I think the fact that he's got Emery there, somebody who's obviously worked with him before, they know exactly yeah. what they want to do, where they want to take Villa. Uh, you know, I think it's it's definitely a, an exciting development. Nigel, you have anything to add? In. I just want to jump in. I'm very disappointed at Villa and sad that Ashley Young has left because I thought he had an absolute outstanding season for them last year, and I think he deserved a lot more than how things have played out. I must say, I've got a bit of information, but I'm going to keep it quiet to my chest. But my hey, mate, I'm very disappointed. This, this, this is the last one for a while, all right? So it's very difficult for us all to get fired. So if you've got something controversial to say... To be fair to Nigel, though, I mean, uh, Ashley tweeted basically saying that he hopes he'd be part of the, the European Knights the next season. And then the news dropped the following day that Villa yeah. weren't taking his contract up. So it did seem like it was quite you know, sure. quite harsh and, and very quickly done. And I, I agree, you know, I think, uh, you know, Ashley Young's been phenomenal for us since coming back, uh, you know, and the experience that he has, despite the fact that he's not getting any younger, no pun intended, uh, is, you know, I, I think it would have been a big plus for, for Villa going back into Europe, especially sort of in the early stages of the season as well, uh, you know, going through the, the qualifying rounds to get into the conference league. Yeah, I've been told to move on. There's way too much Aston Villa chat here all the way back to the Luis Miguel Edgaray days here. So let's get back to the UEFA uh, team of the season, James Benj. Um, obviously, watching a lot of these players um, across the board this season, it's been fabulous to watch. And it's very difficult to pick any type of team of the season here. But what's your overall impressions here? Seven Manchester City players in the mix, including one that didn't even start in a final. Yeah, and Kyle Walker only played three games beforehand. I mean... <laughs> I do kind of sometimes wonder if the UEFA technical observers watch the tournament that they're technically observing. Um, Carl Walker was brilliant <laughs> against Vinicius. Like if there was one game that gets you a, um, a spot a in the tournament, it was that one. But, uh, you know, the tournament does last 13 games for Manchester City. Um, Andre Onana was robbed in goal. Uh, statistically, yeah. if you yeah. if you like, yeah. you know, yeah. XG, yeah. goals prevented, all that. This is the the greatest season that we have numbers for by a goalkeeper was Andre Onana. Um, that's pretty much the only one. I think it would have been nice to get some Napoli representation in there because they were so good in the group stages and people do tend to forget that. But yeah, I mean, my big annoyance is, so I would 
Onana in for Courtois, move John Stones to right back, which is where he played more often, and get Zielinski in there. That would do me very nicely. I've got I've got one to add. I think Nicolo Borello is deserving of being on team of the season. Nine. Inter Milan don't get to a final without his outstanding play. I know you don't agree, but I say this is a guy that when Latoura Martinez and Romelu Lukaku didn't show up through the group stages, he was their best player. Throughout the knockout stages, he came up with goals and assists. I think he should be there. Michael, uh, wait a minute. I think I think I Demarco De, Demarco has to move further forward. Uh, you know, because that's where he was deployed basically in terms of the the goals created from open play. Uh, the other thing that I would say uh, is I actually think Achebe would have a strong case to be in ahead of Bastoni. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that Bastoni had a great tournament, especially in the knockout rounds. I don't think he had a particularly good final. But Achebe, you know, for for sort of where he was, like sort of twelve to eighteen months ago. To be part of that Inter team is just a phenomenal achievement. And he wasn't just sort of part of it in that he was on the pitch. You know, he was a very important part of a great defensive effort, uh, you know, over the last couple of rounds. Nigel? Nah, nothing to add to it, mate. Popularity. All right, well, I'll, I'll come to you on the next news then. Saudi Arabia apparently eyeing uh, Neymar here. And I'm actually intrigued to get your opinion on this one, Nigel Rio Coker, because as a former player, I just wondered if the money came around to you ever at one stage in your career where you yeah. had the opportunity to take money and leave. Uh, the, yeah, you know, you never had the jobs. <laughs> I thought, I I thought the Whitecaps, no? Whitecaps or Chivas USA would have offered you did, didn't it? Didn't it earn you a pretty uh, a pretty penny going ice fishing in Norway for like two games or wherever it yeah, was? That was great. Yeah, cheers, mate. <laughs> Uh, James, what's your what's your overall thoughts on this one? Obviously, Neymar. Um, I mean, he's had his injury issues. Obviously, had some consistency issues. I think we can all agree with that one. There, World Cup, he was uh, ready to rock and roll, and then apparently got injured there as well. Um, but at the same time, still one of the world superstars. Saudi Arabia not only eyeing Neymar, eyeing some other top players, and Steven Gerrard. I'm hearing has his name thrown into the hat as well. Yeah, always good, uh, Ian, when the um, news that you and JJ and and Ben Jacobs broke on uh, Sunday morning gets the apparently treatment from your own podcast. Uh, Thanks for that, Ian. Um, And thanks to JJ and and Ben for their help on this. But um, yeah, so Al Al Hilal, uh, senior delegation from them, uh, they flew into Paris on Friday night uh, with the aim of tempting Neymar. Um, the salary that that's going to be on offer there, and I know JJ can can shed more light on this from a PSG perspective, but from a Saudi perspective, the salary they're offering is is probably more in the region of what Ronaldo's earning, which is at least two hundred million a year, uh, as opposed to the sort of five hundred million that they were offering Messi. But but obviously the big thing for Al Hilal is is they missed out on Messi and were stunned, shocked, appalled, however you want to say, uh, that he went to MLS instead. They were apoplectic, and their response is to go out and get Neymar. Could cost them 40, 45 million euros. Like, they're willing to really push this, and I know JJ will speak to this. Neymar's options, as far as I can see, are take the Saudi money or take the Qatari money at PSG. Yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely no uh, sort of serious possibilities for Neymar at this moment in time because a lot of the links that you're seeing, like uh, Manchester United, Chelsea, that's all the work of intermediaries at this point, trying to drum up interest. It's not actual interest from the club going to PSG saying, oh, you know, we'd like to to discuss a deal. PSG are desperate to get get rid of Neymar. Uh, You know, that's no secret. Sort of 12 months ago, we were saying that 
when uh, Luis Campos came in with Christoph Galtier, the decision was made that if possible, uh, you know, PSG would like to move on, uh, you know, from Neymar. It, it hasn't worked out for either of them, but because of the World Cup, it was impossible to move him on at that stage. So now with the World Cup sort of in the rear view mirror, uh, you know, and with Neymar finally realizing that, you know, maybe things are not going to work out for him in Paris, uh, you know, there is, I think, probably the greatest chance that we've known since his arrival back in 2017. Uh, you know, that Neymar gets moved on and PSG need this to happen as well, because if they're going to regenerate the squad in the way that they want to, you know, completely rebuild the attack, bring in some extra pieces in other positions as well. They need Neymar off the books, not just in terms of bringing in a transfer fee, because let's face it, they're not going to recoup even half of that world record fee that they paid for him all those years ago. Uh, you know, they need his massive wages off the books and the only real hope at doing that. Uh, is by selling him to somewhere like Saudi Arabia, where they will arguably be able to give him even a bit of a pay rise or at least something in line with what he's getting uh, at PSG. It's totally mad. I mean, uh, the the game's crazy right now with uh, some of these rumors. And I mean, we're we're talking about players. Not I wouldn't say he's in his prime, obviously, because he's had so many injuries, Mike. Here, but this is just like it's probably the right move for Neymar to get away from PSG and to go to a Saudi Arabia and play. You've seen his focus shift since he's gotten the PSG. There is so much made about his focus being on football at the start of the season. But when you're seeing things like online poker, money, 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 being out, betting, etc. And we'll stay away from the betting conversation because I know it's a sensitive <laughs> subject with Ivan Tony in the Prem right now. But I think that is the final frontier for Neymar. MLS is always available, though. Messi's coming. Wouldn't be surprised James, Neymar. Yeah, right. right. MLS is how much money on Messi. They ain't got no money for no stars for in no the in the future. In the future is what I said. In the future, you, you Listen, think yes, you think that Messi's coming to it. MLS, Nigel, without getting a top in deal. This deal that Messi is getting, getting right off, now. Yeah, off, what are you on about then? Whatever deal I'm saying, whatever deal Messi's getting, he's getting an absolute top deal. MLS doesn't have yeah. that money to generate to get someone else now. Yeah. Messi is the pinnacle, and that's it. What they don't realize, what people don't realize is. Saudi Arabia are not messing around. This yeah. messy thing has really irked them. So now they're going for every top class player, every young player, and they're going to persuade them to go to Saudi Arabia. So after yeah. maybe Messi stink finishes the MLS, it's going to be like, where's MLS after that? Are they really going to grow the game and, and push it? Or is all the top stars going to be in Saudi Arabia? So it's a lot more competitive than people realize. when it, what's going uh, on he'll, he'll always be able to go back to Barca though, right? Mm. <laughs> Look at JJ throwing in a little thing in there. Free. <laughs> James Ed is a uh, jumping in here, and he's saying, "Who's oh. the first one to leave CBS if Saudi's broadcasting networks start paying like the football clubs?" He is expecting. I know who that Jonathan Johnson, you're in Paris right now, all right? You're in Paris. What got you to Paris? I can't imagine. You know, I'm just throwing out there. Was it the Qatar the models, took you to? The models <laughs> did in Paris. <laughs> don't, 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 forget, don't forget that my uh, my association with PSG predated Qatar's arrival, conveniently, mm. albeit. <laughs> yeah, you got a heads up. You did your job. You're a journalist. You find out shit that we don't know before it actually happens. We appreciate you, JJ. And I'm guaranteeing that Nigel Rio Coker would be the first one to take the money. <laughs> uh, real quick. 
<laughs> real quickly. Uh, Silvio Berlusconi dies at age 86. Nigel, it's not the time for it now. We're talking about death here. <laughs> Silvio Berlusconi dies at age 86 here. Uh, listen, this is obviously a, an important figure in, in media and politics and in football, of course, in, in Italy, JJ. This is um, obviously very sad news to see him um, pass. Um, but certainly a controversial figure, to say the least, when it comes to football in general and life in general in Italy. Oh, man, it always comes to me on the really uh, touchy subjects where you expect me to go on like a monologue for about an hour. Uh, <laughs> no, honestly, it longer, like, is it? On, on, honestly, lo lo love, love him or loathe him. Uh, you know, I think for us football fans, there will always be an affinity towards Berlusconi because of the Milan sides that he had uh, sort of under his presidency. You know, I think we we associate so many great players, so many great periods, uh, you know, of that club's history as well with him and his ownership. Uh, you know, it, obviously it's a it's a sad day for the footballing world, regardless of how people might feel about his politics or, uh, you know, his his sort of personality away from football. He was uh, he was a character, uh, and you don't get many like him these days. I appreciate it's not nice to speak ill of the dead, but um, this man had a pretty profoundly unpleasant uh, impact on not the politics beyond the borders of Italy. Um, you know, if you you see him and then you maybe compare that with, you know, I, I don't want to turn, I don't want to speak of US politicians on the our podcast when I'm not in the US, but, um, you know, I can certainly say that you can draw a line between bunga bunga parties and some of the stuff that happened in uh, in my country with Boris Johnson so um yes i won't speak ill of the dead but i think his reputation his his legacy is the the negative vastly outweighs the positive vastly Anybody else would like to add to yeah, I noticed that Nigel Real Cooker is keeping his head down, hoping that I don't ask him for a comment on Berlusconi. Ian, I'm the type of person that likes to, to bring the world together and bring people together and understand we have a lot more in common than we have apart. So uh, I'm, I'm, and it's, I just have nothing to say. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll right. chime I'll chime in very quickly. I I became a fan of Syria watching the Milan sides dethrone the likes of the Juventus. And what didn't happen in his life that we all can agree with, we all don't co-sign with. He put AC Milan back on the map in a way that was much needed in Syria and world football, delivering the Champions League after what almost a decade without a Champions League title. So those are the things I like to think of and remember him in terms of his legacy, not his off the field stuff. And Monza. Don't forget Monza. And Monza, Monza, Monza. Can't leave those guys out. But Milan sides. All right. I'm trying to prolong the show as long as I possibly can because, <laughs> unfortunately, to everybody out there, I've got even more sad news for you, including <laughs> you, Vic and Amy, who are uh, very, very active in our chats. I appreciate every single one of you. Ed, Vic, Amy, Kishwan, obviously all the ones who are jumping in right now. Matt Osman, some great names out there. Uh, this one might hit you a little bit harder. But after the longest season in history, House of Champions is going to be taking a summer break to re-energize and refocus our attentions on some other projects. In the meantime... You can see our faces on the 24-7 Golazzo network as we continue to cover the beautiful game in its entirety. Thank you to everybody out there, all our loyal viewers and listeners. You have been a huge part of the show. Um, it's been a great run. Guys, we're going to take a break. We don't know what the future holds for House of Champions here, but um, 
I just want to leave it with uh, maybe a positive memory. You can go back to the LME days, Luis Miguel Echegaray, who deserves a massive shout out for what he did uh, with Kego Lazzo moving into House of Champions. JJ and James, I'll come to you guys first, being the longest members of this show. Uh, JJ, we'll start with you. Um, it's something that's been a real positive, and for me personally, I can't thank all of you enough for the effort. I know it takes a great deal of dedication and time and preparation for what you do, um, but your character and, and your professionalism and the chemistry we have built here with House of Champions is uh, second to none, and it was the same also for K. Galazzo. So, JJ, take it away. Some maybe positive memories for you, and then we'll go around the house before we get out of here. Oh, I've got so many positive memories. I mean, just from the early days, starting up with uh, Jimmy Conrad and, uh, and Ella Mee, all the way through to this final episode with you guys. And I think the one thing that's never changed throughout the entirety of uh, you know the shows, whether it was Kego Lasso, whether it was House of Champions, is that I've always looked forward to, to having these get-togethers with you guys, you know, like-minded football fans, you know, people who just love the game, want to chat about it, you know, have a great sense of humor, uh, you know, build up a, a fantastic rapport. And if, you know, if, if the viewers and listeners over only knew about half of the the stuff that pops off in the WhatsApp chat when uh, you know sort of outside of hours, you know, I, I think they would realize that you know the chemistry that we have and and we're we're lucky to have, uh, you know, is a is a very genuine one. And uh, you know, it's it's been a fantastic run with you guys. It was too with uh, with LME and Keiko Lasso before, but uh, you know, like you said, it, it's not uh, it, it's not just uh, it, it's not necessarily a farewell. It's just a you know a bye for now. Yeah, I, I don't want to make this about. I don't want to make this like Jake Humphrey hosting on BT Sport and it, it to go on forever and to 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 shroud the main event. Um, but uh, it has been it's been a, a real pleasure um, to to get to know everyone that's been involved on House of Champions to have some of the guests we've had as well. We've had some massive figures from the game join us and Kegelatso and House of Champions. But but most of all, like to work with you know, the five guys here and, and LME and Heath and, and Jimmy before, like, you know, you, we talk a lot about teams and, you know, we talk about some of the best teams in the world. Well, you know, I think we've got a really elite group of people here and uh, look forward to picking up with everyone again in the future, no doubt. Yeah, I, I'm forever grateful to be part of this team. I remember coming on and the first tournament I got to cover or highlight was the African Cup nations i'm forever banging the drum on african players and african football and to be with a platform that's evolved and continues to evolve like cbs sports and house of champions and formerly kego lasso is a, is a dream come true for me most important thing that i've loved is the sense of camaraderie and it feels like talking with your best mates or even some of your older or younger brothers. I mean, we fight like family, man. <laughs> but that family atmosphere here within this group is something that will always stay with me and interacting with the chat as well. The Vicks, the Eds, the Amys, the Rafa Cardenases. I've, I've really come to enjoy your input. You guys see the game, and I hope you stick with seeing the game and making your voices heard. Looking forward to the future. <clears throat> Well, we all know I'm not one to waste or mince my words. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Um, you guys are absolutely amazing. I'm not going to waffle too much because you guys know how great it is to work with you guys and we become friends. We started off as colleagues. We became friends. Apart from one of you, you're still a colleague. Um, <laughs> we are friends. Uh, in my opinion, there is no greater panel in whether you want to say this American-based or whatever it is that says educated about the game, knowledgeable about the game, and in the sense of teaching the game with great personalities than you guys. Absolute pleasure to work with you guys. 
For all the fans who churn in, it's absolutely been a pleasure to be on here with you guys and listen to your comments and be able to interact with you guys. Without you guys, we are absolutely nothing. This really is a special panel and it's so fun to come on it every time. As JJ said, I look forward to it. Um, to our fans out there, I'm not telling you to do this, but feel free to do it. If you want to just keep going on that Golazzo network and just telling our name that you want to see us on TV, feel free to keep doing it every day. <laughs> Let them know. If you want great entertaining football talk and quality football analysis with great knowledge, there is no better panel than this right now. And finally, before I get off, I want to give a big shout out to the man that you guys don't see yep. The little Irish leprechaun, he can take that however he wants to bloody take it. His name is Des, <laughs> and he's a ginger and he's Irish. Yes, he is the man behind this all who puts it all together. Probably one of the greatest producers of footballing content and product uh, products that I have seen in America when it comes to the knowledge of the game. And it's always about educating the game and having opinions to discuss. That's what makes football so great. It's not stats-based. It's not run this route, do this, do this. There's so much that goes into the game of football that the world knows. And that's what we try to bring to you guys, giving different perspectives, different points of views with a great bit of personality behind it. But Jane, um, Des, great producer, absolute pleasure working with you. I know it's not goodbye, but feels like goodbye for me. That's why I'm going to drink some tequila after I finish that. And Ian Joy, <laughs> you're still a bell I love you. Love you too, boys. And listen, it's, it's like a locker room for me. And the way I stepped into this one, I'd never done podcasting before. Obviously, a shout out to Luis Miguel Echegaray for the great work he did do before I stepped into this hosting chair. Um, and James and JJ, for you guys, I know, Michael, you've done it as well. But hosting, co-hosting, this hasn't been a hosting chair. This has been a part of the team. And we've all had our share of hosting or leading the show. Um, but we just have such great chemistry. And it is, to me, it's, it's that locker room feeling for me and the way we're open, how honest we are. This is a platform to certainly do that one. And in many ways, if you've not been in the locker room, it's more like that pub feeling when you're going down and having a pint with your friends and basically chatting football. We do that every day. We have a continuous chat on our WhatsApp group that will never, ever stop there. Uh, but the World Cup will be my greatest memory. I thought the World Cup was phenomenal. All those shows, all those games. It was absolutely incredible work, what everybody put into there. Um, so a massive shout out to our team, uh, to you guys. Absolutely excellent what you do. Continue to do great work. You can follow James and JJ across our uh, CBS Sports platforms of course they continue to write and break news so make sure you're following them on their social media platforms as well michael i know you're going to be involved in some uh, stuff coming up nigel go drink your tequila we'll see you soon hopefully never again um but then i want to mention producer des uh Massive shout out to Des. What he has done uh, across the board, it's not necessarily just with this show here, uh, what he has done across the board with podcasting, with shows in general, he's going to be a big part of what CBS has got going forward, certainly on the Galato Network as well. So we can't thank Des enough for the great work he did. Igor and all the team behind the scenes for promoting the show as much as they possibly can. And to everybody behind the scenes who basically gave House of Champions love, the graphics, and um, putting it out there on social media, we can't thank you all enough. So much work goes into putting this show out there. And we thank everybody. Um, but before we do go there, um, James is saying that we should thank somebody else. Who would you like to thank, James? Well, we do need to thank Fabrizio Romano. Very much a, a regular. He was with us from day one, you know. Um, yeah. And always good to good to hear from Fab. Yeah, thank you to Fabrizio sure Romano. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure Probably it's going to struggle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, boys, it's been an absolute pleasure to everybody out there. This show has been for you. Thank you so much uh, for jumping in the comments. The regulars who are in here, the ones who come in and out to just chew at all of us here. I know there's a people out there who get after each and every single one of us for our comments, for what we don't do right, or for what we say that is controversial. There certainly wasn't a lack of that on this show, and that's what made it so great. I appreciate you, boys. Thank you for all your great work. and. Uh, this will be back at some point, no doubt about it. Whether it's called House of Champions or something else, we will be back together as a team in one way or another. If not, House have a great Nigel. life, everybody. <laughs> House without Nigel. That's the next show. Nigel's gone. Feel free to put those comments on the, the Golazzo network. You know, you know, you know where the, the, the boys are. Yeah, thanks, Nigel, for the ending words being that. I should have just left it there with the final words. In fact, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Thank you so much for listening to House of Champions. Thank you to everybody. Nigel, take us out. Oh, well, it's absolute pleasure, everyone. Uh, Like I said... Oh, we got no time for this one. That's us shining up for House of Champions. Love everybody. Take care. We'll see you soon.